The Church Sound Podcast is brought to you by Invisible Media Training. If you want to empower your tech staff, we have courses that teach churches the technical tools for ministry. Hit them at InvisibleMediaTraining.com. It's time to empower and grow. Welcome to the Church Sound Podcast. Part of the Repurpose Network. Where kingdom culture, real life, and technology intersect. I'm your host, Prentice Thompson. What we do, we talk to real people, pastors, leaders, engineers, tech people, manufacturers, worship leaders, all about church, technology, and provide solutions for a successful Sunday morning service. You ready? It's time to take a ride. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Welcome to another edition of the Church Sound Podcast. I'm your humble host, Mr. Prentice Thompson. Welcome to episode number 113. I said it. 113. Nice round number. Nice round number. That means we're going down the kingdom highway and we're getting to our goal of never ending. So let's keep it there. But we have a great show in store for you today. Today we're going to talk guitars. I mean, guitars, like, ling, 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 you're going to talk guitars, six-string guitars, all types of guitars. And I got a great, great, great guess. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs of all ages, let's welcome my friend, Preston Russ, Director of Design at Wave. What's going on, everybody? Brennan, thank you for having me. Hey, listen. Uh, we've talked on several several occasions, and we've always had pleasant and interesting conversations. <laughs> That's right. About tech, and we can share stories all day long about tech at church. They don't have that kind of time, though. <laughs> <laughs> we can be here all night. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, man. You know, it, it took a while for me to get you here, but um, pleasure to be here, man. Man, I'm glad I'm glad you're here. And so we're going to talk guitars, right? As Because you're an engineer, I'm an engineer, and we end up having these conversations about being engineers in church. Right. And the stories that we have with each other. And so I said, you know what? The, the perfect guy I know that can tell me about guitars as from an <laughs> engineer's perspective would be Preston Russ. Mm. So I don't want to get too deep. Because we can go deep real early. Absolutely. So we're going to do something that we always do. All my new listeners and aware that we do this thing called Sunday School. Now, Sunday School, the funny stories that we tell in church amongst each other, and whether, whether what ministry you're in, if you're on the show, if you're in church, there's a story that goes along with church somewhere. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready for okay, class is time. Sunday, time school. Sunday School. Now, the man on the mic, the man with the gavel. The man with the robe, the man with the mic in his hand is my good friend, Preston Russ. So I need you three topics. All right. I'll select. Come on now. So we've got three. The first one is going to be, where's the guitar? Okay. Second one's going to be the day the music died. Oh, interesting. And our third and final one is lights off. You said lights off? Lights off. Lights off. Lights Hmm. off. You know, (laughs) it's hard for music to die. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to go with The Day the Music Died for $49.99. Done. Sold. Man, so uh, this, oh, I guess this was, I want to say this is still 2020. So this is still mid-pandemic. Okay. Uh, maybe around August, September, honestly, around probably two years ago, around this time. And uh, I mean, obviously, we all know that the live events world shut down March yeah, 2020. Right. You know, we uh, we all, all put on those pajamas and kept them on for about six months. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, so this was kind of that return to normalcy. You know, we, we saw a lot of uh, kind of different like live stream shows and things like that. And, you know, then people started to approach like, let's get some people back out here, you know, and, and we went through that kind of drive-in show. Right. You know, the, yeah, the, dri- the drive-in show, right. The, the, with, the the, F, with the S- FM transmitter? That, the FM <laughs> transmitter. But, you know, this, uh, so for this one, man, we, uh, we were like, you know what, like, let's go do a little bit more tailgate and uh, let's, let's fly some PA, you know, and we're going to okay. some, you know, have some delays and uh, it was a SL250 gig for all those event guys who are there at every stages and um, it was a, a Christian music festival and so we had uh, probably three three or four headliners that day and then just kind of a, a series of other opening acts and, and things of that nature um, and man I'll be honest with you it was one of those things that we were all kind of laughing at it throughout the day and then after the fact of like we hadn't done anything for six months you know so going out there and flying <laughs> PA pulling feeder dragging snakes and cable ramps and all that kind of stuff we were like We've got to develop this muscle memory back. Right. We, just, we haven't been doing anything like that. You know, we did the like virtual events and stuff like that. That's like different animal. You know, yeah, exactly. Open up a laptop. But, um, you know, so we were out there and we got the PA up. We obviously got, you know, bands on stage, made it through all the sound checks and uh, had all the openers passing through. And, and I got the opportunity to mix one of the headliners um, and a uh, relatively well-known Christian artist. And uh, we get into the set. Um, and I was, I was actually happy with my mix, you know, I mean, it was one of those things. I'm a, I'm very, uh, very glass half empty guy. Um, but I was, I was sitting there with my mix. I was happy with it. Uh, and then all of a sudden I noticed the PA just go a little like, you know, cut out for a second. I was like, that's, that's weird. And I I turned to the systems engineer and I was like, Hey, did you hear that? And he was like, yeah, I'm on it. Started clicking through all the kind of diagnostic stuff and the DSP software. Um, and, uh, then the PA just cut. And, wow! Uh, cut for probably a, it felt like a minute, but I mean it probably cut for a solid. You mean like that? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, and I don't know if we can share it or something, but I've actually, funny enough, I was recording on my phone. Oh video, gosh! And uh, and then it cut, and so and then you just hear me in the in the phone video go like, oh, we get the PA. <laughs> um, and so you know we're obviously on radios trying to figure out what the heck's going on and going back and forth, and wow, and the PA cuts out again. Um. And I just hear the event manager on the radio, like, bring me ice. And we were like, what? <laughs> he was like, bring me ice. And so uh, the uh, basically what had happened was it was a, it was a JBL VTX series um, PA, A-series PA. Right. Uh, honestly, a stunning, stunning PA. I, I was thoroughly happy with it. I've always been very happy with it. And uh, But it was just one of those things that when we threw the amps under the deck, they were right up against the nylon stage skirt on that. Oh, they were losing wind. Yeah, yeah. They had no way. I mean, there was no ventilation for the amps. And so the amps just started overheating. So next thing I knew, we had a, a bigger artist up next. And I look, 
and I see them just bringing back like 25 pound bags of ice in and a bunch of fans and they were just trying to blow as much cold air on those oh amps my as possible. gosh and you know and I'm up front mixing and it's one of those things of like you know it's probably going to cut out again we're going to see what happens but um, you know I mean it was one of those things everybody was so happy just to be back in front of a PA and wow. at a lot of events there was a lot of grace and it was something we were able to laugh at after but in the moment you know it, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not, horrifying oh yeah it's absolutely yes. horrifying silence is 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 a sin silence is absolutely a sin. <laughs> that's where you know you're like man this fm transmitter show is kind of easy <laughs> don't have to worry about that amazing amazing sir thank you for sharing say so you go sunday school and the day the music died but we're not going to die right now. So I asked this of all my guests. How did you get in this crazy business of live sound? Man, it, uh, funny enough, I don't know if I got into it necessarily by accident. Uh, if you want to call it that, but, uh, indirectly, I've actually been kind of behind an audio console since about eight or nine years old. Oh, wow. And, uh, and what I mean by that is, so I grew up, uh, I grew up in church. Uh, my mom's actually been on staff at the church as long as I can remember. And, uh, you know, grew up going to kids ministry. And obviously, you know, when your mom's on staff and you go like roam the hallways during the summer, you kind of think you own the place, you know, <laughs> and, and you're like, okay, this is my territory. This is my domain. And, uh, you know, so I was the typical like pastor's kid in church. Wow. And, uh, that said, you know, as a, as a way to get me to essentially be quiet, you know, and shut up and stop talking to the other kids, they had to separate me from the other kids, you know? And so, I mean, at that point, the solution was <laughs> just throw them back in the tech booth, you know, with some middle schooler oh, who's like clicking through, you know, per presenter or some, you know, PowerPoint at the time, um, you know, just to separate them, you know, and then obviously after being back there and getting in trouble weekly and, you know, getting thrown in the tech booth, uh, eventually it kind of got to the point of like, you know, that middle school kid or whoever it was that was running was like, you know, push this fader up here, you know, or, or press, you know, press play on the CD player at this time. And, you know, obviously as a eight, nine, 10 year old, you're not really thinking anything of it, but then, you know, when middle school hit, you go over, like we went to obviously the youth building and that's where we kind of got into some band stuff and things like that. And again, you know, I wasn't in the tech booth at the time, but it kind of spurred that interest of like, you know, kind of like you're like, okay, well, this is what they have over in, in the kids building. Here's what they have over here. What are the differences? And, uh, um, you know, again, kind of growing up, going to church with my mom, um, you know, as she was working there, it was, it was going and hanging out with the church staff, you know, and hanging out with the the youth worship pastor and the, the production director of the church. And, um, you know, just kind of over the course of the years, developing that love, you know, long before, I officially mixed a band or touched an audio console. It was, it was, here's how you over under a cable, you know, here's how you patch a stage. Here's what W ones are, you know, for your stage drops. Here's, you know, so on and so forth, how to mic a drum set, how to position mics, you know, different ways. Like we're going to talk about today, different ways to mic a guitar, mm -hmm. you know, why mono versus stereo counts, so on and so forth. And kind of learning those like casual fundamentals almost well backwards before I even touched touched a mixing console. Wow. So by the time you touched a mixing console, you already had a, 
a plethora of knowledge that you didn't even know you had that you that was building up just from your life experience. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's something I'm, I'm so grateful for because, you know, a lot of people get into it the other way. They get into it and, um, you know, they're comfortable with pushing faders on a Sunday, but then all of a sudden if they lose an input, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> where right. do we start? You right. know, and, and so, right. um, you know, through that kind of trial and error and, and figuring things out in my life, like, that's honestly kind of the precedence I've set for, you know, as I, I develop volunteers in the church world and, wow. and things like that um, is know your stage, you know, know how to work your patch, know how to know where your points of failure are, you know, and how your system, you know, is connected. Right. So. Right. So let's get into guitars. And what I found interesting is that we're both engineers. But neither one of us are, are guitarists. Right. So, <laughs> however, we're, 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 we're challenged with presenting them in the best light possible. Absolutely. So this way it comes with a certain amount of understanding. So now I, I laughed when you first texted me and you're like, we're going to talk about guitars. I was like, here we go. Cause yeah, I, <laughs> I can play smoke on water. <laughs> That's all you're getting out of me. So the, so when we get into guitars, you know, we have acoustic, yeah. we have electric acoustic and we have electric, mm-hmm. right? With each of those factors present different challenges. Right. What are your, so let's go through acoustic first. Okay. What's your, what's just straight acoustic. What is your approach? Absolutely. With acoustic. You know, I, I think so much of it kind of circulates to all instrumentation and it's so contingent upon the drum or upon the genre, you know, and, and contingent upon what we're mixing. Right. I grew up, grew up in North Carolina and, uh, I've gotten to be a part uh, in a front house capacity with a, a bluegrass festival up in the in the hills of North Carolina every year, and uh, you know acoustics and banjos and mandolins, and I mean that's that's driving the set, you know. So that's not only your your lead instrumentation, but that's your foundation for the mix, right? And so um, you know it's it's navigating that approach just like any other instrument to say you know where do I want this to sit in the sonic spectrum before I push it up in the house. Right. So, um, you know, and then honestly, a lot of it is contingent upon the player, you know, and and having that conversation with, you know, him or her either prior or just kind of getting a feel for him, you know, in sound check, um, of saying, you know, is this guy going to play it or girl going to play it like a rhythm guitar? Are they going to be playing it? you know, doing a lot more finger picking kind of that full body stuff, Mm -hmm. or are they just going to be treating it like, you know, a hammer and beating the snot out of it? Right. Um, you know, and so I, I think evaluating, you know, all those aspects of it before, like I said, before you push it up into a mix right. is huge. You know, I mean, you know, what we hear a lot in modern CCM and, and that kind of stuff, I, I you know, I, I always like a, a, a little bit more presence, you know, in my acoustic guitar, like if it's playing, you know, by itself, it might have a little bit, it might feel like it has a little bit too much top end. But once you layer it into that mix with everything else, you know, I almost kind of group an acoustic guitar similar to like a group of tambourine or something like that, where it's almost kind of that percussive drive. Right. Um, just to kind of add that, you know, sizzle on top of the mix. Right. But, um, you know, obviously coming from, coming from the bluegrass world, coming from, you know, some of the, a lot of the country music world, it's also like, this is your full body sound. Right. You know? And, and there's a lot of times where the band might drop out and it's just, you know, whoever's leading finger picking. Right. Um, you know, and you want that low mid warmth. You right. Know? Um, and you know, the big thing for me is like my, my personal goal up front of house is I, I hate the feedback suppressors. You know, I hate the sound hole dampeners and things like that. And so, you know, before we even cross that bridge saying like, what can we do before we have to put that in? 
you know, and honestly, ultimately having that relationship and having that conversation with the artist performing is, is key, you know, right. because there, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, somebody will play an acoustic for me and I'm like, man, this is going to be fun. But then you kind of get on the talk back and you're like, Hey, you know, is your guitar flat? And you, you know, nine out of 10 times they're like, no, you know, I've got the bass boosted or I've got, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the mids boosted or the highs boosted, right? Or, you know, whatever that little pickup they have in the acoustic or, you know, their, their pickup in the DI or, or something like that. There's some processing happening. Right. You know? And so, um, it's just that two way communication. Like I would say any, any musician, you know, or any instrument on stage. So let's talk about culture because culture is, is a huge factor, especially when it comes to the genre. Absolutely. Me as an engineer, I grew up in black church. Absolutely. So the guitar was usually rhythm. Absolutely. It's definitely pocket. It's some strumming. It's some picking. It's some muting. You might get a solo every now and then, but when music started to expand more, you started getting more CCM in the church. I noticed that even in the black church, it was more, it was still more keyboard based, keyboard mm-hmm. based, sure. but the sounds were wider, warmer, padded, absolutely, um, roads, more piano than, than anything. And the guitar would be on the top, but not, not on the top, beneath it. Yeah. So when I started mixing at churches where it was all guitar. Sure. And the, keyboard became the support i had to change my way of thinking absolutely which means i had to really learn the instrument because the only sound i was used to was it was a strat yeah yeah and and a strat is different from an electric acoustic it's different from an acoustic it's different from a les paul it's different from an ibanez right. they all have different characters absolutely so i had to i had to learn how to how to how to make the acoustic and the electric work together because sometimes you're mixing and it's all guitars. Right. And I didn't come from that. That wasn't my world. Absolutely. So talking to a guy like you is important for me as an engineer to kind of have a better understanding from a cultural perspective of the use of the guitar. Sure. Well, and that's, you know, I mean, I, I would even say kind of growing up on, on a similar front, you know, I, I grew up in church of God, you know, and so we were full gospel every week still, um, you know, hundred, 150 person choir. We had a full, you know, brass section orchestra with, with strings, with, you know, percussion drums. Um, you know, we had a, a full Allen organ, but we also had a B3 on stage. You know, there's a full Yamaha. Man, that's a lot of sound. Like, yeah. yeah. Man, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of yeah. sound. Absolutely. We, you know, with, on you know, vocalists and ensembles like layered on top of that. And so, um, you know, but then also continuing to cover that kind of diverse range of, you know, we might be pulling out an old hymn or we might be pulling out an old gospel song, or we might try to be incorporating a new CCM song into it. Wow. Um, you know, and so that was what was always kind of that fun, unique challenges of, you know, working with a musical director at the church, you know, and working with the musical directors on stage or sorry, musicians on stage to say, you know, find your piece of that pie, you know? And, and so I almost look at that sonic spectrum, like a pie, you know, and say, what, what is, what are the layers I want to, I want to base that off of, you know, I would say in modern CCM and, and kind of some of the pop sounds and stuff we hear, you know, the big sounds in my opinion are kick drum, snare drum, bass guitar. And then honestly, the thing I would put after that is vocals. You know, and so if you've got that kick and bass relationship right, and then you let that, you know, the rest of that room be filled with massive vocals, 
then that leaves, you know, whatever's remaining on the sonic spectrum to be filled with, you know, your, your electrics, your synths, your keys, your things of that nature. But obviously that's so contingent upon genre, you know, and the style of music you're mixing. And like you said, the culture, like it, it, it varies and it varies dramatically. Right. You know? and, and there's even situations I know, like even in the church of God, you know, of, we've got some churches that want to sound like this. We've got other churches that want to sound like this, you know, and again, it circles back to working with the folks on stage, right. You know, and, and building that relationship and having that relational equity to say, Hey, this really might feel good in your ears, but this doesn't translate out front. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, I mean, I, I would say there's, there's a bunch of different approaches because to your point, you know, we, we, we see now guitars are such a driving factor of a lot of CCM sounds and a lot of those mixed sounds. And so, um, you know, we'll evaluate everything from having, you know, if we have three guitars on stage, that could be two electrics that could be, I'm sorry, that could be, you know, two electrics and acoustic. That could be three electrics. That could be two acoustics and one electric, you know, obviously we, we, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't even touched on a bass guitar yet. Right. You know? I mean, there's, there's a lot of that, you know, string sound coming off the stage, even if we don't have, you know, a true strings or orchestra section. And right. So, right. Um, you know, just evaluating that. But then also I would say, like I said, it's, it's contingent upon the song. You know, right. just like a musician might be swapping between, you know, a strat and a hollow body or, you know, the, the, you know, whoever's leading might go from an acoustic guitar to a rhythm. Like it's, it's all that kind of conversational pre-planning stuff in advance that, that really sets you up for success in your front of house mix. You know what I never understood? Well, I understand it now, but coming up as a musician and I would go to, you know, musicians or go to the different studios and they would have all these guitars. Yeah. Right. And then you go, I toured. So you go out on tour and you go, well, why is he switching guitars? Right. Right. You know, you see the guitar just fly out. Another one brings one in. Car tech brings one in, plugs it yep. in. Like it's <laughs> boy started. Okay, cool. And you're just like, so they have a they have a guitar. Yeah. For these specific sounds. Yep. And I found that so interesting that it all it all lends to the the texture absolutely that the player is trying to get without having to fiddle through it. Yeah. On every song, it's it's kind of like a patch in a sense. It's a hundred percent like a patch, you know. I mean, and, and to that point, like that was something that you know. There, there's obviously the the simple wins of you know being able to obviously mitigate time for tuning and things like that, and so have you know one guitar tuned to whatever this key is, or you know from that side of it. I mean, that, that's how much honestly in full transparency, I'm not a guitarist, you know, but right. talking through the, the differences in tuning there. Um, but you know, circling back to like, I'm a drummer, you know? And so kind of having that same approach to snare drums for me, you know, and so, yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, I, there's times where I really love that kind of deep tuned loose wire wood hoop snare. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's also times where it's hard to beat that like natural crack of a black beauty, you know? Right. And, and or so that, or that tight piccolo. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And so, um, you know, I mean, I, I would say having, having a few guitars and a guitar boat side stage is no different than having a secondary snare or having a drum tech, you know, swapping right. out your primary or right. secondary snare mid set. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's all tools of the trade, you know, and for us, it's like, you know, there's, there's multiple types of multi-band compressors, you know, and, and uh, heck, there's multiple types of compressors. That's yeah. another example, you know, of yeah. what kind of, you know, do we want to use a VCA or an optical compressor or FET, you know, and evaluating all the different colorations and, and sounds right. of, of compressors. It's, it's just like a guitar, you know, and then that, that honestly continues through the signal chain of a pedal board, you know? So let me ask you this, when it comes to your approach, mm-hmm. When you're when, like, like you're starting, like you're starting from scratch. 
Sure. Like, it's not a church that you mix at all the time. You're starting from scratch. The band's on stage. And you get to the guitar channel. What's your approach? I think a lot of it depends on, you know, again, evaluating what they're playing first. You know, do they have an amp? Do they have an amp simulator? Do they have, you know, just as, as simple as a pedal? Uh, are they going mono? Are they going stereo? Things of that nature. You know, and ultimately, what's their role in the mix? You know, is what's the genre that I'm mixing? What's the musical style that they're playing? And, um, you know, are there two guitar players that hand off lead? Is there, you know, is there a dedicated lead, a dedicated rhythm? All those questions kind of have to be answered in advance. But, you know, I mean, a, a big thing for me is I, I, I'm a sucker for stereo, you know, and even if I don't have a true, like, stereo, you know, send coming from the stage, I, I still, I find validity in mimicking that with either taking, you know, that mono send and patching it twice to have a guitar left, guitar right, and then adding delay. And by that, I don't mean like the effects delay. I mean, you know, obviously like a sample delay. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so adding really between arguably what I find myself doing is between 15 and 30 milliseconds, just depending on the width of my PA and what feels right. You know, I, there's not a science to it, but it's just throwing delay on one side um, you know, and one thing I've honestly been doing recently is if I've got two guitars, you know, uh, and even if they're sending me a stereo signal, say I've got one guitar player, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do stage left stage, right. I'll do house left and house, right. You know, just for an easier example. But, um, you know, if, if for my house left guitarist, um, I don't have any delay on his left channel. I've got the delay on the right channel for my house, right. Guitarist. I don't have any delay on his right channel. I've got the delay on the left, left channel. channel. Yeah, right. exactly. Just to kind of pull that image. Uh, you know, and again, it, it helps create that sonic space, um, right. you know, and so obviously if you can get a stereo sound off them with some of that ping pong delay and that kind of wider reverbs and things like that, that's great. Um, but getting the sound is you, you got to handle, you got to handle the floor first. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and creating, adding that delay helps create that width that just helps it sit in the mix, um, you know, and uh, a lot of it also depends on the console, you know, and to your point, if I'm just walking up to it, how much time do I have with it and how familiar am I with it? You know, obviously on a lot of the freelance shows that, you know, I get to be a part of and uh, even, the, you know, most of the churches I get to mix that, like we've got kind of a, a higher input and higher output count console to where I've got those buses available to where I can go and I can throw, um, you know, I can have a drum group, I can have a bass group, I can have guitar group, keys group you know, step that up into parallel groups if I have time or if I've got the resources for that, uh, you know, and continue on, um, you know, and, and I love mixing through groups for the reason of the space that I can create, um, you know, so circling back to the conversation we had earlier um, of, you know, I might have three guitars on stage at any given time. That could be three electrics. That could be two electrics, one acoustic. That could be two acoustics, one electric, you know, the, the list goes on. Uh, having them go through that guitar group allows me to kind of create that, that sonic mapping. So like if it's, uh, sorry, if it's, uh, like say there, say everybody jumps into kind of a rhythm section or something like that, uh, or a rhythm guitar part, you know, and that's where we're going to find that kind of low wonky 200, 250 buildup right. in the mix that we don't necessarily want to leave in there. But obviously from an input side of it, I don't want to take that out because yeah, you still need it for the sound. Yeah, exactly. I need right. it for the sound. Right. Or, you know, if we go back to that being the only electric and there's two acoustics, or if we go back to that being the only rhythm and there's a lead and an electric, you know, I still want that sound. Um, but that's where I have that ability in the vocal, or I mean, in the guitar group to throw a multiband compressor, throw a dynamic EQ on there and just do that kind of one to two or two to three dB of, you know, gain reduction 
on that band. So if, you know, if I've got three, so you're going to sidechain it pretty much to the vocal. So that's a good point. Uh, so for, for this aspect of it, I'm just, I, I have the key listening internally. So gotcha. if I've got, you know, basically that threshold, I set my threshold. If I've got three guitars playing rhythm, you know, just to kind of create that, that ducking. But that way, if I step back to, to two guitars, you know, we're not hitting, we're not hitting that threshold. We're not hitting that game right. reduction, but you know, that you bring up a great point of side chaining, you know, when we step into vocals and obviously wanting, like we said, you know, in the CCM approach, keeping that kind of kick snare bass vocal in the mix. I don't ever want to have any competition, you know, with that vocal. Um, Cause especially, you know, in the, in the worship community, like that's, what's leading the congregation, you know? Right. Uh, and so there's everything a, else is support. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I'll take a side chain or take a filter and kind of put it around that two, two and a half, three K kind of vocal intelligibility range. And then inside chain it off my vocal group or my lead vocal mic, depending on, you know, what I have available. Uh, and then also account for that kind of two, one and a half, two, two and a half. Where the bite is. Yeah, gain reduction, just so that way, you know, no matter how loud guitars get, there's always that space and separation for vocals. Yeah. So, so in your approach, like say, um, I know when I when I start sound check, um, I normally start with I normally start. I don't want to get into the details of sound sure. check. They're staying on guitars, but sure. But in your in your approach, when you mentioned kick, snare bass um vocal and vocal right so i had an engineer on he's like out in california he says yeah i start my sound check with the vocal yeah how do you start your sound check? I would, so i would i would actually agree um so this is a tip i got from uh jeff sandstrom uh over over at mxu and he's been you know was out with tomlin for years and uh just an incredibly incredibly great engineer in this industry and uh i've got a lot of respect for him and uh you know he I don't even know what this was before MXU. And I don't know if this is a conversation I was having with him or, or when I heard him say this, but this changed my approach to sound checks that even, you know, even when I'm in the touring side of things and I might not always have my front, you know, front person sound check, uh, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to always put that mic out there, you know, and I'm always going to try to ring out that mic, you know, get that mic typically where I had it either sitting the night before or where I think it's going to sit that evening and then do sound check with that mic live. You know, because the last thing you want to do is obviously create, you know, a bunch of tight, um, you know, tight mixes. Then then you add vocals in there and that just loosens everything up, you know. Right. And so um, even if I don't necessarily have the vocal talent on stage to start soundcheck with, I want to have their mic out there and I want to have that lead vocal mic, you know, or the, the, the mic that's going to, you know, stay hot 80% of the set. Because it, it is even when it's even when if you don't have a gate on it, but even yeah. when <laughs> how soft the gate is the whole other thing. Right. But even when it's out there, um, it's still part of the sound of the stage. Exactly. Exactly. So what you don't want, you, you, you don't want to lose that, but when you're doing sound check, you want to make sure it's there. So this way your ears know what's present. Right. Yeah. And you know, and to your point on gating, that's where if I have the op- opportunity to get into waves, you know, I love PSE or primary source expander. You know, and the biggest thing for me regarding that is I love to like, it's a big deal for me to be able to set that threshold as low as possible. Cause I feel like the lower the threshold, obviously on the gate, the less obtrusive it is, the less noticeable it is, the more natural it feels. Exactly. You don't get that. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and so uh, PSE does a a great job with, you know, their attack and release times and and making it feel natural already. But, um, you know, if, if I have a larger room and I can drop that threshold, you know, 
three, four, five DB, I might be a little bit aggressive, but you know, three to four DB, then I'm going to do it, you know, and, and I don't have those gates, you know, or don't have that expander opening and closing and things like that. And so, um, you know, just kind of keeping that out there as one of those resources in the back of your mind, even though, you know, the, the, whoever's sound checking or coming out that they might come out, you know, and, and I would say even that doesn't only apply in the touring world that also applies in the church world, because, you know, I know several churches I mix at where they're, you know, the band will come out first, um, you know, the band's the first person on stage because they're doing a vocal rehearsal backstage, you know, and they're working through parts right, and stuff like right. that. I've done, um, I've, I've, yeah, exactly. You know, and so like, if you have an hour for sound check run through, you know, you might only get vocals and run through, um, you know, so. even then it's better than nothing because we've all day gone, long. We've gone through that. So oh, let's yeah. do this. Let's take a break for a second. We'll be right back with Preston Ross. Did you know that 177 million Americans listen to podcasts? You know, you can listen to podcasts anywhere. Most people listen to at least eight shows a week. So what does that mean for your church? Isn't the goal to reach more people with your message? You know, Tascam has been the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals worldwide. And now they enter the new age of the podcaster, where they once again combine affordability, portability, and sound quality in one elegant package with the Tascam Mixcast 4. Isn't it great to hear the roar of the crowd behind your voice at the tips of your fingers? The ease of use and the portability of this hardware unit where you can have four microphone inputs, Bluetooth, telephone, and computer input all at the reach of your fingers. So do yourself a favor and go to your local retailer or retailer online and get yourself a Tascam Mixcast 4 because the goal is to reach more people with your message. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back. We're talking guitars. The Preston Ross, this guy is this guy, this guy knows his stuff. I say this guy knows his stuff. This guy is amazing. This guy, I tell you. Fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> Fake it till you make it. <laughs> so let's do this. Um let's jump to your your micing techniques for cabinets. And and because there's always, always different types of cabinets, but there's, well, I normally, I can say my weapon of choice is just use the good old SM57. Absolutely. And you just can't go, you can push that thing to death or like the, Come on. the or the, the 609 is a good, is a good choice. Sure. Um, I've even used RE20s. Absolutely. You know, because they can take a whole a high SPL because it's a broadcast mic, because it's a dynamic microphone, it allows you to really push it without without it breaking up because it's sure. nowhere near as sensitive as a condenser microphone. Those of you who listen to the past podcast are now have, have evidence. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that I that that I know what I'm talking about here. So, what's your how how do you mic mic your cabinets? Like, what's your how do you start? You start in the center cone, you cloud, you go axis, off axis. Like, what's your process? Yeah. So, I mean, again, that so kind of, for me, it, it varies based on, are they running mono or stereo, you know, and, and what mics and resources do I have available? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you 110%. If you, uh, if you can't get a good guitar sound with a 57, you're not going to get a good, good guitar sound out of any other mic. I, I, I love the tried and true sound of a 57. I love the consistency of a 57. Um, you know, outside of that, other mics that I've really enjoyed recently are the SE Electronics V7X. Um, Never used that one. So it's, uh, man, it's uh, it kind of, V7s kind of took wind, I would say probably three or four years ago now, maybe a little longer than that. 
um, but with their vocal capsule. So the SEV7 vocal capsule, it's like a $89 or $99 vocal capsule, you know, and mm. it's kind of one of those things that um, it doesn't have the bite necessarily of a beta 58, but it, it also has, you know, the control of a standard 58. And gotcha. so it's, it's, in my opinion, it feels like a nice, clean hybrid, a cleaner hybrid between. So it's like a, it's a brighter 58. That's probably a good description. I would say that, you know, I would say that, um, but also you kind of get that like low mid warp that you get out of like a KSM nine okay. without the noise of a KSM nine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Close proximity and, type. Yeah. Right. And gotcha. so, um, you know, that's kind of what the V seven wireless capsules really what made me start turning my head on SE electronics. I mean, they're, they're, it's pretty impressive. They're incredibly fair priced. Um, you know, I use, I used, um, the, the 4400s. Okay. The, the, the multi-pattern kind of like the, the 414 knockoff. Yeah. I've used them at, at, um, Riverland Hills on Tempanies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I put them in figure eight and yeah, they're out there. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. That, you know, the, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the V seven X. I feel like, uh, sonically it's very similar to a 57, but you know, it, you get a grill on it, you know, and I, and mm-hmm. I, hate, I hate saying, you know, I hate bagging on a 57. Obviously that's, that's, it's tried and true. There's no need in changing it, but you know, I'm always worried that I'm going to break the element, you know, or, or tamper the element or things like that. And so <laughs> in a 57. Yeah, absolutely. Just the, like the, that black past Some things last forever. They do. I, I've snapped one a couple times. You're probably uh, the only person I know <laughs> that's even come close to damaging a 57. I can't tell you how many times I say how many times, like it happens like every festival, but like in a festival changeover, you know, you get, three or four stage hands wiping it. Oh, wiping okay. Back okay. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then it just gets dropped and you're like, well, there goes that. And so if I can get a grill on a mic, you know, or just if I have conversations with whoever's in monitors or on stage prior to saying like, Hey, just leave the mic on the stand, you know, don't take the mic out of the clip, right. leave it on the stand. Then, you know, nine out of 10 times, no worries. And, and like I said, the, the 57 still is my preferred, uh, micing approach, but you know, outside of that, obviously, you know, we, I love a KSM 32, a large diaphragm condenser on there. If I can get the guitars in a nicer cab, you know, <laughs> like I said, so much, exactly. So much of that is just contingent upon the environment we're right, in. Right. Um, you know, in, in my home church, uh, we standardize ISO cabs for, you know, for those oh, on that's stage. That's sweet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so just because it's one of those things, you know, from, from a guitar player's perspective, like a lot of them, I get it. You know, when they're rehearsing at home, they want to rehearse with the sound of their amp because obviously that's, you know, that that's still is a whole lot better than like, you know, they can, they can put a nice pair of headphones on, but that still is not, not going to replicate exactly right. an amplifier. And so, um, you know, given the, the, the ability to play through an amp, but also to turn it up, you know, and, and there's nothing, there's no weirder or more awkward conversation of saying like, Hey, yeah, you can have your amp on stage, but like, don't turn it past three, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, um, so do you actually, do you do this? Do you go, cause I do this a lot. I go direct out and mic out. So it depends. I mean, obviously we, we've seen a lot of the amp sims and the amp modelers and things like that, obviously where you're just going balanced out. Um, but I, I never, I, I typically don't do, if I'm dealing with cabs, I'm just micing the cabs. Um, I'll do that on a bass guitar. Bass guitar. I'll yeah, do that all day long. Yeah. yeah. I love, you know, I mean, I love taking the DI out on a bass and then putting a, a 52 or, um, you know, an RE 20 or something like that on a bass cab. Right. Um, but, uh, typically for an electric guitar, it's, it's the cabinet, up. the cabinet is the sound. Exactly. I do that with the, with basses and it's such a difference because you can, 
you can really dial in the base. Well, I don't want to get to We can talk about base on another one. <laughs> yeah. But it's those of our engineers out there, like try direct out in, in the cab and, and you have a happy, happy balance. Yep. I so, would agree. And so, so okay. um, you know, so I would say, you know, circling back to the original question, uh, if I've got two, um, two cabs, you know, it, it kind of starts with the conversation, you know, because really, again, the guitar player that's carrying that cab in that just spent the investment on that cab is also going to spend the time investment to say, Hey, you know, here's the sweet spot of it. And I'll try to have that, you know, conversation with them. I mean, if they come in, you know, it's something weird, then I'm like, okay, let's, let's figure out a compromise. But, um, you know, a lot of times they'll kind of know that sweet spot in the cab, you know, and, and even like, you'll see people that have like a little bit of gaff tape on the grill cloth or things of that nature, like where they prefer it might. I don't want to be the like, really? I've never seen that. Yeah. So that's uh, and that might be uh, you know, that might circle back to that, like bluegrass or thing. country. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you know, so they'll kind of, they'll have that sweet spot kind of indicated. If not, um, you know, just a simple conversation of, do you care where I mic it? Nine out of 10 times I say no. And so my sweet spot personally is I like to be about two inches from the outside of the cone. Okay. Um, I don't like to ever be directly on axis with the cone. I like to, you know, be, like I said, about two inches from the outside. So if it's a 12 or a 10, you know, kind of pull in two inches from the outer diameter and stick it there. And so, um, it's that, you know, there are times, you know, circling back to kind of the conversation we had on groups, you know, and being able to pass my guitars through a multiband compressor group or, um, you know, doing a stereo channel with, you know, and, you know, with uh sample delay on it and things of that nature. Like if I'm dealing with one cab, there's also times where I'll take two fifty sevens, you know, and, and put them side by side on there. Uh, obviously, you know, make sure the phase is correct, but do you do um, inverse the phase only on, on one or the other? Do you typic- do that? Typically not. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. So, but the reason is, is cause I'll EQ them differently. And ah, so okay, basically like I'll have one that's kind of more like kind of ducking that kind of top end lead guitar sound and then right. the other one that kind of has that like low mid warmth. And so, um, you know, what I can do in that is I can sit it in a mix and I can have, you know, kind of almost that like split sound where my, my lead lines are kind of coming through on that, you know, on that brighter channel. Um, but then obviously if they, if they jump into a solo or something like that, where I want to drip, I can obviously, you know, take, make that like three to 60 B adjustment, bring back in that, um, you know, that low mid, sound you know just to obviously make it sit on top without obviously losing any losing that information right, yeah right, exactly right, right so let me ask you this so because I, I i do this so yeah. maybe let me see if you do this sure so say you have the one it's one guitar player that you that say it's this one guitar here you're focusing on sure. and this one guitar player is going from clean to distortion do you okay. have do you set up do you program two two EQ um, scenes for that channel? Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's certainly times, um, or do you just duck it? It's, it's, it's that, you know, or in full transparency again, I, I mean, I guess I'm just a relational, like I love the conversation aspect of it. And so if, if somebody has like in a soundtrack, I'll say, give me your sounds, you know, give me your clean sound, give me your distorted sound, you know, give me your rhythm sound, so on and so forth we'll step through the different sounds. And if he clicks on a drive or if he clicks on a distortion and all of a sudden I find his gain, you know, boost in three to six dB, I'll say, Hey, you know, on that, on that drive, can we cut that back a little bit? Unless it's intentional, you know, I mean, obviously they might fire right back and say, Hey, 
you know, on this song, I want, I want that drive. And like, that's kind of the intent is to be three or six dB louder. Right. Then that's fine. Um, you know, but again, kind of circulating back to the, the conversational piece and, you know, even the culture piece is like, they're sitting there rehearsing with their cab, you know, in their room or in their practice space or things like that. Uh, and they're developing that, developing that sound. And so it's like their dog, you know, yeah, so exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so, um, yeah, you know, I mean, so much of it for me is just, is about the relationship piece, you know, and, and is understanding the sound because, you know, obviously we get to have that creative sound and, and, and I think that's where it's fun. Um, you know, even mixing some CCM stuff like, and, you know, especially like cover bands and things like that, like there's an established sound, you know, and so there's an established target we're going for. And right. so I think that's where we as engineers, we as front of house guys, we have that fun flexibility to say, Hey, you know, let me create my reverb patches to sound like that. Or let me, you know, modify my delay sounds to sound like that. You know, the list goes on. Right. But where, uh, you know, where ultimately it comes down, like that's, I feel like personally speaking, that's our responsibility and that's our creative space in front of house guys. But, you know, I mean, ultimately we're here to reinforce the sound coming off the stage. Right. We're in support of. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I mean, I've, I can't tell you it's, it's funny walking into to churches, like doing consulting and stuff like that. And there'll be like a guitar amp emulation, like inserted, you know, as a plug in on the, right, on, you right. know, in multi-rack or super rack and, um, you know, or, uh, Oh, what was it on the old Avid like on the profile stuff, like the 11 or something like that. Oh, the, the, the line six. Uh, well, there was the Avid, Avid. Had, oh, the, uh, a, a, like the, the 11, the 11. 11. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. The 11. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, and I was like, do you want to have a 57 in front of a 57 deluxe? Here's your sound. And it never sounded like that, <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, but kind of like, walking in and finding that and seeing that kind of stuff on, on guitars and like, no, that's, that's where that bridge needs to be built between the booth and the stage. Right. Um, because right. if, if it's not working out that, that much, uh, that's where the conversational piece needs, needs to happen, you know? Cause I mean, ultimately like, you know, like we said, like we're an extension of what's coming off stage. Right. Um, you know, and, and we're here to, uh, foster that community. Um, you know, uh, of making sure we're authentically and, and cleanly translating, you know, what's coming off stage into the house. And if it's not, you know, that's not something necessarily that I personally feel is on us to correct. I think it's a conversation with the folks on stage. And obviously if you have that and they're like, no, you know, that's where I'll throw a filter on there or something like that just to make it work. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would say more than nine out of 10 times you have that, that yeah. conversational yeah. piece. And, um, it's kind of more, it's kind of work from, from that point. Yeah. Because that, that's more important, you know, tr tr you know, trying to understand rather than being understood is, mm. you know, that's, that's scripture. Come on, that's but, good. Yep. But it's, it's basically the premise of us as engineers is like, we're trying to understand. Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to understand. So you can present your best self. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think too, like, that's where we get to have that, that, you know, not to say as a, as a front of house engineer, you don't have any creative control over the guitar sound. You know, I, I think that's where ultimately there are things that, um, do fall under our responsibility, you know, scope that don't necessarily always that the band, you know, that the guitar player may not always think about like compression, you know, and, and overall, not even a thought. Yeah. You know, obviously they, they might have a compressor on their board that kind of normalizes their sound into their effects chain or depending mm -hmm. on where it is in the chain. But, um, you know, like, 
we we're also out there monitoring the fundamental we're monitoring the dynamic range of the service you know and and uh ultimately we're responsible for keeping things within that parameter you know and so like i said you know that might work in in a cover band aspect where they have that 60b drive you know boost for that song but obviously like maybe a 3db is all we need right in in house of worship right just because we don't want people you know we don't want the people that have been you know already sensitive to our mix turn around and like staring at us or giving those looks or you know yeah that's that the the key is to be invisible exactly that's good And, and so um you know, so on that front, um, that's where I think, well, like I said, we get to have those, those fun, that fun creative time with compressors, you know, and, and, um, again, like I, I don't, I don't want to overly compress if I find myself like living in, you know, 60 B of gain reduction with anything above like a two and a half. Yeah. You don't want to be three, four. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Yeah, that's extreme. You know, and so, you know, so still kind of that slow, medium, slow attack times so of 13 to 13 to 20 milliseconds. Yeah, because you time for things to catch up. Exactly. Without, you know. without it sounding like it's catching it's up. It's feeling natural. Yeah. You know, and that, that's actually funny enough. I was in a conversation, I was doing a training, um, you know, and, and to, when I walked up, there was a lot of the gain, like all the compression, the gain reduction was happening on the master bus. And I was like, you know, that's not where we want this to happen, you know, because obviously that's where we feel our mix. Start right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And droning. Excuse me. And, uh, um, you know, that's, they're like, well, why don't you like that? And like, obviously in our mind as engineers, we're like, well, this, you know, this is why, but I, I had to step back and think like, let me, how do I explain this to them? You know, and being you able to pull it, it out, yeah, you bypass yeah. it, you pull it out, you do some adjustments <laughs> and you go like, then you plug it back in. Yeah. You know, and and go like, Oh, I didn't know why. Yeah. It's that, you know, and, it, and it's explaining like, um, you know, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I think in, in high school, middle school, I, I probably mixed for three years without understanding what the heck attack and release times were on a compressor. I was just like, uh, they're there, you know, we'll just turn it and see what happens. But, you know, obviously like in, in later years of life, you know, and obviously really like once I started to take mixing serious, diving into, you know, slow attack times on my drums, you know, faster, medium, fast attack times on, on some vocal stuff, just to, uh, all that kind of, all those variables, like that's where compression, it, it, helps you control that dynamic range and sit way more comfortably in a mix mm-hmm. without, you know, without you hearing it overall, because right, obviously right. it's, it's, Cause you don't want it to be noticeable. Exactly. That's exactly. that. That's the key. What so I'm, let's do this. I'm going to ask you one final question. Okay. And oh boy, this should be really easy. It <laughs> okay. should be really easy. There's, there's some people out there who listen to this and they're going, you guys are way over my head. <laughs> sure. Then you have a gr- other group of people that's like, okay, yeah, I, just, I get it. Sure. Absolutely. So I want to dial this back. Okay. And ask a question. And the question is, if you had to give advice mm-hmm. to a new engineer, okay, what would it be? That's good. Uh, man, my, I, I feel like I've beat this, feel like I'm beating a dead horse. Um, when I say this, but the biggest thing for me, man, is that, is that building that relationship between stage and front of house, you know, and honestly, just like we could get into a six hour podcast on mixing, we could get into a 12 hour podcast on, on that. And maybe, maybe we do that one day. I'd love that. But, um, you know, it's, it's building that relationship, you know, and it's walking down and, you know, 
whether it's as simple as complimenting a pedal on the pedal board, you know, or, or establishing that trust, especially if it's a, if, if it's a guitar player you've never worked with, um, you know, and then just even, or if it's one you work with every week, you know, talk through the pain points and just say, Hey, is this intentional? You know, do you, here's, here's the pain points that I'm wrestling with at front of house. Is there any way we can control that? You know? And again, I, I would be shocked I've yet to meet. Obviously, there's a couple couple folks out there that we can all think of, but like nine out of ten times, it's it's they're fine. You know, they're willing to make those changes, and a lot of it they don't recognize it because they're either hearing a different sound in their ears, you know, or obviously the sound that you get off a you know dual ten, dual twelve line array is way different than what they're hearing in a you know, right eight driver IEM. And so, talking through that, you know, and then as far as um as far as mixing, you know, and advice in mixing, uh, actually, well, one of my bosses at wave, um, says this all the time and, and I kind of, it used to make me laugh, but the more he said it, the more I kind of, I kind of love it. Uh, as he was like, honestly, be able to like air airplay all the parts, you know, if you want to air drum, the drum parts uh. of the songs, you know, 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 know your parts and know your role as a front of house guy. Um, you know, because obviously like the musicians on stage, they spent two, three, four, five hours rehearsing that week. We we should be doing the same thing. You know, we should know the music just because we listen to you know K Love in the car. We listen mm-hmm. to the radio station. We know the songs. Like we don't need to know the lyrics. We're not the vocalist, but we need to know the you know the vocal sound. We need to know the effects that are on the song. We need to know where guitar players sit in relationship with the synthesizers, or you know the drums sit you know in relationship with vocals and bass, like so on so forth. But do your homework as well. Um, you know, and, and walk in with an idea. I, I can't tell you how many times, especially if it's uh, like if I'm on a tour or if I'm with the same band every week or, you know, if we do the Christmas and Easter marathons where we've got the <laughs> eight, nine, 10, you know, uh, Easter or Christmas services, you know, I'll have a little like I just opened up keynote and I have notes per song that I click through, you know, and say, okay, second chorus guitar is taking this solo or, um, you know, change your, change your delay time to half notes for this song, you know, this, this bridge, you know, and that kind of stuff. But it's, it's understanding the music, you know, and understanding what you're reinforcing, um, you know, cause if you do that and you take that time for that genuine investment, that also shows that you've got that equity on stage to the folks you're reinforcing. And that makes those tough conversations of, you know, I'm having this issue with your tone or I'm having this issue with your volume so much easier because it's not like you're just walking in on Sunday morning and expecting, you know, expecting the world to revolve around you. Right. So what I'm hearing is build trust Mm -hmm. and be prepared. Build trust and be prepared. Because I can, I can, I have a, a hundred thousand stories of building trust with with with, 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 with musicians, because, and what and what I've learned over time is that what you're doing is you're protecting someone's gift, mm. and when people when the musicians understand that you care about their gift, you can you can negotiate anything. That's right. Because people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That's right. So. What I do as an engineer, I show that I care. That's right. I'll go and I'll talk to you. I'll crack jokes with you. Well, that's how we met, man. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's exactly what you were doing when we met. You know, is, yeah, I mean, you said it so well. I mean, obviously, it's circling to the biblical reference of seek first to understand. Right. And then to be understood. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that that carries so far throughout 
life, much less yeah. life behind a console. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that understanding that, uh, because it's, it's super easy to come out of a sound check and storm the stage and be like, what the heck were you doing? You know, I mean, <laughs> especially as a drummer, you know, I mean, my thing is, is uh, we can get into this is symbol control, you know, and, and how people are playing like on top of the symbols or, you know, that's a whole, I'm getting on a rabbit trail here, but <laughs> you know, that mindset is so easy to come out of that or make a passive comment or something like that right. uh, on a talkback mic or make an honestly, even not a passive comment on a talkback mic, it but be your expression. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and understanding the musician, because obviously people take feedback differently, you know? And so yeah. people, you know, if you say it on a talkback mic where, you know, the 12 people on stage are hearing that that's going to be just even perceived differently than if you said it one-on-one in a conversational aspect. Right. Um, you know, and so, um, it's that, you know, it's simple things like being present in the green room, you know, or don't be on your phone, you know, between sound check and service, like go talk to your volunteers, you know, or take some time after sound check. If you've got, you know, somebody shadowing you, if you've got an A2 and say, Hey, here's why I did this, you know, or do you have any questions? You know, that's one of my favorite things to do with when I was, full-time in the church world, you know, with interns is say, Hey, you know, be present and sound check, come up with three questions. And, and I want to dive through that. Um, you know, or like I'm going to lean over and make some, you know, make a note of this. Cause I want to say, I want to circle back on this later and I want to dive into this. Um, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's maintaining that relational equity, building that relational trust. Like you said, you know, that, that sets, sets yeah. you up for not only success in your personal career, but also in your mix. You right. Know, and then obviously gives that band and those folks on stage that trust that they're confidently being represented, displayed. Great. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs of all ages. I want to thank my friend. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm so glad that you um decided to um to join us. And this is a um, This is very cool. This is my first podcast. Dude. It's your first podcast. This is, I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, hey, the first time for everything. I'm glad you did it with me. It it's a great. pleasure, man. No, I, I honored to be a part. So before we get out of here, we're going to do this thing that we call 30 seconds and going. Now, 30 seconds and going are rapid fire. Yes, no, true, false mm. questions. Bring it on. And um, let's see what you got. Here we go. 30 seconds. <laughs> And gone. Question number one. Tigers or Gamecocks? Oh, Tigers. Oh, okay. Oh, Tigers all day long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm in Columbia. <laughs> I know. This is dangerous territory. Yes, I found that out li- moving down here. Yep. Favorite mixing console? Ooh. Uh, Digico... Mm, I okay, would say three. SD12. I say top three. Okay. Digico SD12. I mean, two of those are in both Digico. Is that right? Fair? Okay. Yeah. So Digico SD12, uh, I would still say number one. Uh, Quantum 338, number two. Um, golly. Three is a tie. Um, I, I really like the Avid SXL. Okay. So. Okay. Um, question number three. Favorite childhood cereal? Rice Krispies. Rice Krispies. That will be man. frosted or plain? I think just plain. Just plain. Okay. So the, yeah, because I mean, you can make them into Rice Krispie treats. You can do cereal. Like, you know, you can eat them dry and that kind of feels like you're eating healthy. So. <laughs> kind of, right? <laughs> a lot of versatility. <laughs> Question number four. What was the last show you binge watched? 
1883. 18, really? Yeah. I started, I got to episode two, and I was like, ah, it's a little too slow. It's like, a, give it time. Uh, so I I started it. I did the same thing. I, I don't even know if I made it past episode one at first. I loved Yellowstone. I'm a Big okay. Sucker for Yellowstone. And, okay, it uh, is. It's like a. It's like the um the vintage version. It's a prequel, yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, it, so I I went into it expecting the Yellowstone pace, um, but give it time and watch it all the way through. Okay. Last question. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. Oh man. Golly. <laughs> These are not the easy, true or false questions. Um, <laughs> man, I mean, the, the first one that came to my mind was Rupert Neve. Um, okay. All day long. Uh, uh, Rupert Neve, um, John Meyer, um, golly. I think Pooch. Okay. Uh, it's got to be Pooch. Um, this is tough, man. Uh, I mean, I, I think from just a musical foundation, John Prine. I okay. know that's a weird dinner table right now. Yeah. Like I just threw a weird curveball there. It's your table. Yeah, I know. Um, and then... Um, gosh, I, I don't know. This is this is where I'm thinking way too hard on this. Um <laughs> You know, I, I've gotten to have dinner with him one time, but I think Robert Scoble. Robert um, Scoble. Doing that, doing that again, man. He, I mean, he's just a wealth of wisdom from the systems engineer standpoint and the front of house mix standpoint. There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs of all ages. I want to thank my friend Preston Russ. Hey, thank he's, you, man. He, 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 he struggled with his dinner guests. I guess yeah, I, I, <laughs> no. that wasn't a curveball. That was a knuckleball. I that, was you. It, man. That, was a, that was a knuckleball. Might have been a strikeout. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't think I don't thank you, man, for for being on the podcast. Looking forward to having you back, man. You, you, I'd love I gotta that. have you back. I would love talking that. about um, some other mixing concepts, maybe with the bass guitar. We do that, or yeah. a couple other things we could probably do. But I'm gonna say, like I always said, keep God first in everything you do, and I will see you next time on the Church Sound Podcast. Thank you.